there's a lot of research on this that shows that those people who have mentors out earn and outperform those who don't. And they also have lower rates of burnout. They show greater loyalty to the organization. So it's a great retention policy as well. And they just do better and they're happier. And the mentors like it as well, because it's something called generativity. They are able to add to create that ripple effect. So having a mentor is not just a nice to have, it's a must have. But what I would encourage all the listeners is not just to have one mentor, but to actually have a team of mentors, different people from different industries who can always give you different perspectives because they have your best interests at heart. Welcome in listeners. You're listening to the Free Retiree Show podcast episode 141. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy. I'm alongside my pal, interview coach, Silicon Valley vet, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? Happy Friday. Today, we're going to be giving you a business and thought leader edition. Today, we have the privilege and honor of having a very special guest on our podcast. In fact, Serge, you and I, we've been fanboys for a long time before we even had her on our podcast. So this is a really special day. She is the amazing Dr. Ruth Gotian. She's a world-renowned doctor in the area of success and achievement, something that we always talk about on our show, trying to figure it out. Not that we know it, so we bring on amazing experts like Dr. Ruth, and she's going to be breaking down her very famous four pillars of success, and she's going to be teaching us how to become elite achievers. Serge, this is something that I think would benefit you greatly. I don't know how you've gotten as far as you've gotten in life. You just, now, you just love to bring me up on a Friday. I was in such a good mood. Yeah. Just bring me down. No, we're going to bring you up today. That's the whole point. Dr. Ruth can create miracles. She's the chief learning officer and assistant professor of education and anesthesiology, former assistant dean of mentoring and executive director of mentoring at the Academy of YL Cornell Medicine. And she is a regular contributor for Forbes and Psychology Today. And she's had some amazing interviews with some of the world's greatest people in the areas of achievement. She's also had Zaza Pachulia, she's done interviews with, Dr. Tony Fauci, and someone that we really look up to, Steve Kerr. And she uh-huh. is the author of The Success Factor, developing the mindset and skill set for peak performance. Without further ado, Dr. Ruth, how are you doing this morning? Hey, I feel like I need to live up to that intro. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> well, you're impressed with you, so it was only right. But how are you doing this morning? I am doing well, really well. How are you? We're doing great. We're ecstatic to have you. So I gave the listeners a little bit about what you do, but about how about in your own words? Why don't you explain to us what you do and talk a little bit about your book? Sure. So my job is to make people successful in whatever way that they define it. I have my own definition of success. I'm a social scientist which means I do research, I talk to people, interviews and focus groups. Fun fact is I have been obsessed for so long with success. Why do some people have it and the rest of us can't figure out how to get it? That at the age of 43, while working full time and raising my family, I added one more thing to my to-do list and went back to school to get my doctorate. And I've been studying success ever since. In fact, my doctoral dissertation was on the most successful physician scientists of our generation. And over the years, I've added astronauts and Olympic champions and NBA champions, CEOs. And then I just, I wrote a book about it. And now here we are talking about it. 
Ruth, before we get into the book, at a high level, what does success mean to you? You mentioned everyone has different definitions. Like you as an individual person, what does it mean to you? So I actually researched this. This was the first part of my research because I realized that the definition of success changes based on who you ask. And it's always a moving target. And my original research actually showed that the definition changes based on rank and gender. But the definition that I have used when I was researching and trying to get this definition, which we don't have, but I really worked hard to get, is three things. So the first thing is, these are the people who are, they've achieved something great, right? They have changed the way we do things, think about things. There's a paradigm shift in the way we we think about all of these things because of their achievement, right? We are different because of something that they did. That's the first one. The second is as they have ascended to success, they pulled other people up with them because they realize that a light on someone else does not detract from the light on them. They're all about spreading the knowledge and spreading the wealth. And last but not least, when they have reached the apex of their career, they really wanted to pay it forward. And they mentored people either one-on-one or in a one-to-many model. So it's not about being an influencer with millions of followers. It's not about being wealthy. It's not even about winning the Nobel Prize. It's people who have done something incredible and helped other people along the way. That's a definition I used. And that's why there's people like Dr. Tony Fauci. He never won the Nobel, but you can't say that he didn't change the way we do things, right? Yeah. He has he has worked on every single virus, Ebola, SARS, HIV, AIDS, Zika. This was long before COVID. Yeah. He's getting a lot of heat right now, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what happens, right? A lot of that's heat. what happens. But I love that definition. It's more about how you're bringing up others, right? I think yeah. a lot of people, they think internally when they think success, how much money is in my bank account? What kind of car do I have? What's my job title? That's right. But that's not what I heard from you. I love that. Yeah. And that's why I was very particular about who it was that I interviewed for the research. So what most people don't recognize is that 95% of the people who I interviewed were through connections. It was through networking. And that's a piece that everyone can start to work on. If you want to improve your success, it's really how it is that you network. But when people heard that I was doing this research, everyone said, oh, I know so-and-so, I know so-and-so, and they would give me these names. And then I would do my due diligence to make sure these people are really role models for the next generation and not everyone was so Kanye, the Kardashians. Yep, did they make the, the list didn't make the list it's not about followers not about dollars in the bank it's about impact and leaving this world better than we found it so going back to when you were 43 and you went to go get this doctorate and go down this journey of success i would probably argue that knowing what i know about you you were already a successful individual in 99% of the world's eye, maybe higher. What was it that brought you to this next phase where you wanted to go even deeper into this area? There were a few things that happened all at once. And it was one of the things was we started this new database and they put everyone together when they were programming this thing, everyone from the deans to the person doing the data entry, we were all in the same room. I was like, oh, this is a recipe for disaster, right? Because we all need very different things. And I knew how to fix it, but I didn't know why that was the right approach. 
So I told people it's, it's as if you're a physician and you know which antibiotics to give your patient, but you don't know how that antibiotics works. I needed to figure out how it works. That was the first part. The second part was at that time, I was running an MD-PhD program for people who get the dual degree at the same time. And these programs have a 3% acceptance rate. So this is for the best of the best, right? These are people who sacrifice so much in their life to get to this point. And it's an eight-year program. And people would leave what we call the leaky pipeline. And I kept wondering, why would people who sacrifice so much leave halfway through? What happened? And I wasn't really the only one who was thinking this. For over 20 years, we had meetings about it and conferences about it and papers about it, books about it. And guess what? 20 years, needle hadn't moved. I don't like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. I was always more concerned with the people who were so successful. And I said, oh, what if instead of focusing on those who are leaving, we focused on those who are so successful? Because if we could create more of those people, wouldn't their work and productivity and innovation more than make up for anybody who's leaving? Mm -hmm. And that was really my aha moment. And one thing my mentor said to me when I went back to school and we were talking about research topics, he said to me six words that really forever changed my life. So my mentor, Dr. Bert Shapiro, he said, do something important, not just interesting. And that really changed it from an institutional study to a national study and then an international study, which really changed the way we look at success. And that really changed everything. And that's what I tell people now, do something important, not just interesting. And what is interesting about that is when I interviewed Dr. Fauci and I said, well, how do you pick what projects to work on? He said, if it's interesting, it's a hobby. If it's important, it'll impact people you'll never even have the opportunity to meet. You'll create that ripple effect. Wow. So now two people said the same thing to me. So it was time to do something important, not just interesting. And here we are. I love that. Dr. Ruth, you mentioned your mentor. You wrote an article on how to get the most out of mentoring. And I thought it was super interesting. I, I've been at a lot of Silicon Valley companies and mentoring is huge. I would just love to get your take on the importance of finding a mentor and then how to get the most out of that relationship. There's a lot of research on this that shows that those people who have mentors out earn and outperform those who don't. And they also have lower rates of burnout. They show greater loyalty to the organization. So it's a great retention policy as well. And they just do better and they're happier. And the mentors like it as well, because it's something called generativity. They are able to add to create that ripple effect. So having a mentor is its not just a nice to have, it's a must have. But what I would encourage all the listeners is not just to have one mentor, but to actually have a team of mentors, different people from different industries who can always give you different perspectives because they have your best interest at heart. It's all about making you successful. And you need to approach these conversations. You need to be ready. What is the problem you're trying to solve? You can't just go up to your mentor and say, help me with my career. What part? What do you need help with? There needs to be some something very specific. So you never want to ask someone to be your mentor. That makes them feel like they're taking on another job. 
Instead, you want to tap into their expertise. So say, oh, I know you have expertise in this. I'm actually working on this and I'm stuck on this one issue. I was wondering if we could talk for 15, 20 minutes so I can get your perspective and figure out what it is that I'm missing. Now you've given them something very specific you want to work on and it's time bound. And when you start to keep in touch with them, they're going to see that you are really invested. You are listening to what they're saying. You took that information and you used it or not. You're going to explain why. And you're going to tell them what the impact was. And that's going to make a huge difference. So you definitely want to have an entire team of mentors. I talk about that quite a bit in the book, The Success Factor. And in fact, if any of your listeners want to start working on creating their own mentoring team, there's actually a structure that I recommend because there's different layers of people that you need, people senior to you, people who are at your level and people junior to you. And I walk people through the entire process. So any of your listeners, if they want, they can just download that worksheet for free right from my website. It's ruthgotian.com slash mentoring team. I haven't thought about it in a team aspect. That's actually really, really interesting. I've thought of it more of a one person that's like my advocate or sponsor or whatever we want to call it. But a team is that's that could be a game changer. Yeah. You know who's on mine? I have physicians and scientists, educators, lawyers, military, business. So for example, when I wrote the book proposal for the success factor, I reached out to one of my mentors. She had written multiple books and I asked her to review the proposal. What am I missing? What should I add? She gave me some great advice. When it was time to review the contract, I gave it to my mentor who's a lawyer right? I think given the book proposal, he's never written a book. He's never written anything longer than a brief, but a contract that, that he knows how to do. So you want different people who can give different perspectives. They don't even need to know of each other's existence. You just reach out to whoever you need at that right time. That makes so much sense. In my own journey, I feel my career started to take off once I got a good mentor in my life. And I think that's just an underrated area of everyone. Not many people I know really have a ongoing mentor, but it does volumes in terms of giving you success and pushing you forward. But to have a team, I never thought about that concept. So that is an amazing piece of advice. Nearly 76% of people understand the benefits of having a mentor. So two thirds of the Mm -hmm. workforce, they understand the benefits, but only 37% actually have Two-thirds of people are missing out. They are missing out on making more money, getting promoted more often, being happier in their job, having lower rates of burnout. Why? If every Olympic athlete, an astronaut, a Nobel Prize winner has a mentor, why do the rest of us think we don't need one? Yeah, that's a great point. But I would think that it's probably like you get to a point where you think, well, I don't need one. I should be seasoned enough and I should know everything, so I don't need one. I mean, I don't know. I think that's what I run into a lot with folks that have been doing what they've been doing for many years. And it's just I think people the- are afraid to ask too. Sorry, sorry, Lee. Or afraid to ask or don't know how to ask or don't know who to ask. So I think this framework, I'm really interested in seeing the reading the book and downloading that sheet you mentioned. Like if there's like a playbook, that would be super helpful. I think a lot of it is not knowing what to do or how to find one. It's a great point. At a very basic level. Yeah, I actually wrote a piece for Harvard Business Review about how to find a mentor virtually. 
I have mentors I've never met in person because really what you want to do is people like to work with those who they know and trust. So it's not about being assigned to someone. That doesn't usually work. Who do you have a connection with? When you have that natural organic connection with people, you will naturally start to ask them questions. You will naturally start to ask for their perspective. And trust me, there is something that you can offer as well. There is always something that you can offer. So for example, when I had the book launch for the success factor, it was in January. And I invited all those who were in the book because I knew them, but they didn't know each other. So one of the astronauts texted me and he said, oh, well, Dr. Fauci be there. And I said, no, we've got this pandemic happening. Omicron was all the rage. I said, but this astronaut will be there. But this uh, Nobel Prize winner will be there. He said, oh, Nobel Prize winner. Now that's a high achiever. I said, you're an astronaut. You went in a (laughs) tin can to space. If you're not a high achiever, what does that say about the rest of us? So I mentioned this story to the Nobel Prize winner. And he said, that's really interesting because I know a lot of Nobel Prize winners, but I've never met an astronaut before. So that was my aha moment that I can now connect the two of them. So I did. And now they've got this whole bromance going. But my point is, we can all offer something. We all have a strength that we can help someone else with. So Dr. Ruth, there's one thing that I was really interested in when I read about you and a lot of your research. You have interviewed so many people across different industries, like astronauts, Nobel Prize winners, CEOs to athletes. Where do you find the differences in these people? Because I mean, some would assume that there's some really famous athletes that are just, we don't admire them, but they're successful in their own right. And same thing with CEOs. There might be some really good ones that we admire and some ones from different companies that were like, that's not someone we would consider a good person or whatever. But where do you see the similarities in these successful people across these different industries? And where do you see the difference? So the similarities were really glaring at me like neon lights when I realized that the astronaut is just like an Olympic champion figure skater. That's when I realized that success can be learned. So it was really my job to do this qualitative research, pull out the stories and then figure out where the leadership points are in all of them. So the similarities were really four. There were four similarities amongst all of these high achievers. So it doesn't matter if you're Steve Kerr, nine-time NBA champion, or if you're Maxine Clark, the CEO of Build-A-Bear Workshop, it's the same four. And the first one is you have found what it is that you love to do. And we call that intrinsic motivation, which is very different from extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is the award, the reward, the promotion, the diploma, the gold medal. That's when other people are judging you. If that's your sole focus, that's hard to maintain and sustain. Mm -hmm. But when it comes from within, then you're able to keep going. Nothing is going to stop you. So a fun fact, almost every single Olympian who I interviewed, they don't have their medals on display. It's in the safe. It's in a box. It's in the nightstand drawer. It's on the shelf. Most of them had it in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer because they said to me, it was never about the medal. That's a chapter in my life, not the entire story. So you need to find what it is that you love to do. It's the reason you wake up in the morning. It's the reason you have a hard time quieting your mind at night. That's the first one. The second one is 
how you approach challenges, right? COVID started some of us, we just couldn't get off the couch for weeks and weeks. And there wasn't a show on Netflix that we didn't watch. While other people <laughs> wrote books, <laughs> created whole new careers. What is it that certain people did? It's really how they view challenges. So the Olympians, the Olympics were postponed for a year. So imagine training your whole life for something and then it gets postponed because of something you don't have control over. They couldn't go to the gym, but they found other ways to train. And in fact, most of them continued training for an additional year. They didn't drop out. When they see a challenge, they never question if they will overcome a challenge. Hmm. Instead, they focus on how. What is the strategy I haven't thought of yet? Most of the astronauts I interviewed were not accepted the first time. They had to reapply over and over again. Now, the third one is what you did early in your career, you're going to continue doing later in your career because you don't rest on your laurels. So Neil Katyal argued 45 cases before the Supreme Court of the United States. And I said, Neil, how do you prep for these cases? He said, same thing I've been doing for every case. I prepare a binder has the answer to every single question I might get asked. And I walk into the court and put that binder on the table in front of me. He said, 45 cases, I've never opened that binder. But preparing it prepared me for the case. That's one. Two, he holds moot courts. They're like simulated court courtrooms. He has done that for every single one of those 45 cases. He doesn't say, ah, I've done this before. I don't need to do it again. He's still doing it. And last but not least, the night before opening arguments, his kids' bedtime stories become the opening arguments of the case. Because he said, if children can understand it, the court will understand it. <coughs> and wow. he's done that throughout his entire career. And last but not least is, you've heard of Mark Cuban and Bill Gates and mm -hmm. Warren Buffett. Yeah, They read three to eight hours a day. They're known for that. It's not reading that made them billionaires. It's opening their mind up to new knowledge and making connections that other people don't see. Mm. So while I love to read and wrote a book and hope people will read it, there are other ways that you can open your mind up to new knowledge. So listen to podcasts such as this one. Hopefully we're sharing great knowledge. You could take LinkedIn learning courses. You can listen to Audible. There's so many ways. And of course, you can learn from other people which is where those mentors come in as well. So those are the four. That's what all of them yeah. had in common. Ruth, I want to touch on the first one. You mentioned people who love what they do. I would That then sparked something for me. I, would, I don't know if we have data on this, but I'd love to understand. I feel like the percentage might be low worldwide for people who are actually on a day-to-day -day basis doing what they love. Then I'm wondering if that actually contributes to some of the issues people have in their everyday lives. So I guess I'm curious, did you find, I know you're interviewing all these top people, but for the everyday person, would you say most people are like, aren't doing what they love? Is that a safe assumption? That's a very safe assumption. And we picked our college major when we were 18. And we think we need to stick to that. But our lives change, our interests change. I should know, I started out in finance. <laughs> and I did a few pivot. My first two degrees are in business. When you have kids, you buy them every uniform because they try all these things out and they gravitate towards one. You don't really do that as adults. We may try different things, but we're hoarding. We're not letting go of other things. 
So we need to figure out what our passions are. And just because it was your passion before does not mean it's your passion now. And also, just because you are good at something doesn't mean that it's your passion. So when I talk people through this, so the whole last third of the book is how to implement these four pillars that I talked about. And one of the things we do is we take them through a passion audit to really differentiate between what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing, what do you procrastinate doing? What are you doing when you're actually procrastinating? So this gives you some ideas of what your passions are. So I encourage everyone to do a passion audit. It comes with the book. You can also download that from my website, ruthgotian.com slash passion audit. And what is so important is that every time you have a transition in your life, new partner, a new job, a new house, a child, a move, a pandemic, right? This causes us to reevaluate our priorities, which is why so many people were quitting their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic. So just because you liked it before doesn't mean you're going to like it now. You need to redo this passion audit every time you have a transition in your life. And you'll see that you start, if you start moving things from what I call that last column, make it part of your job, you will see that you start to love what you do. Dr. Ruth, one story that I wanted to bring up or something that's been trending in the news lately, Sergio and I are big Warriors fans. We love the Golden State Warriors, love the coach. I think Steve Kerr is an amazing coach, an even better person. So totally admire him. You've developed a friendship with Steve Kerr. Uh, I want to know what has that been like? Because he's such, he seems like such a cool guy. And then recently... One of the leaders on the Warriors, Draymond Green, literally knocked out one of his mm. his teammates, Jordan Poole, with the vicious punch that got all over the news. And I would love to hear your advice for Draymond. I don't know all the players. There's one in particular, Zaza Pachulia, who has become a very good friend and now works for the Warriors. And obviously, Steve Kerr interviewed them both for the book. It's really fascinating to me, people with their on-court persona and the off-court reality. Um, These are great people. If I can't be friends with them, I didn't even want to talk to them. I don't care how famous you are. Because the people who I interviewed, I see them as being a role model for the next generation. And it's really been great in hearing, for example, how someone like Zaza Pachulia, who came to this country without even knowing English, was sort of just dropped and his agent left and he was there all by himself. He now speaks, I think, four or five languages. He His tenure as an NBA player is three times the national average. Wow. He did some incredible work. And I am forever grateful because he talked about my book on NBC Sports, which is great. Steve Kerr is somebody who is very grounded in his values. And he brings those values to every single practice. One of them is basketball needs to be fun. Mm. So he makes sure that every practice is fun. And he makes sure that the team is like a family. And one of the things I asked Zaza, I said, Steve Kerr, Coach Kerr said this, is it true? And he said, yeah, I've played on many teams. The Warriors are a family. They're a family on and off the court, which is great. And Steve Kerr, God bless him, is a big reader. Mm -hmm. So leaders are readers, right? (laughs) 
And in terms of one player punching another one, no comment. Lee, to your point, she said it, it's a family, right? Like sometimes families fight. I'm sure Steve figured that out. Like they won their first game like easily. They looked like nothing was wrong. I didn't talk to him about it. So I have no idea what he's thinking. <laughs> but I feel like it could hurt the chemistry when you just haymaker someone in the face that's on your team. So I agree. Yeah. I think we don't know what happened before, what happened after. There Crazy. were conversations. <laughs> I don't know if Ruth, if you Draymond, he's a head case. But he's like the glue of the team. He's like a head yeah. case, but he's also really important. Yeah, he's like the glue, but he's also that emotional guy. You just don't know what he's going to do. So I'm interested, like, as, like, Steve Kerr, like, he must love him, but he's it must keep him up at night. Some of the things that I've learned, we were talking about the team and the makeup of the team. And he said, look, everyone there is fighting for their spot. I said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, you think the number one player doesn't need to fight for it. He said, but they want to fight to keep their number one spot. They have everything to lose. So they are working harder than anyone else. I said, oh, I never thought about that. Mm. And then he said, the last player, they're working hard to keep their spot on the team. Mm. So he said, there's three layers of the team. There's the senior people, right, which uphold the traditions and the work ethic and all of that. And you have the junior people right? The newest player who have that young energy that they're bringing. So if anyone's going to start getting complacent, they have that energy and they're always chopping at the bits, right? And then it's the middle player, the mid-career ones that are the glue that keeps the team together. So you need all of them. You need all of them. And not every day is a bed of roses and rainbows and puppy dogs, but (laughs) get through it. Yeah. how they won so many championships right i do it again but yeah steve kerr definitely <laughs> he knows what he's doing because like he isn't, doesn't just know basketball but he knows people and he knows yeah. how to empower and get the best out of everyone that's been on the team that's what i think i admire about him the most he's had countless players that were sent to him that were just like eh, this guy's yeah. a nobody this no one wants this player but he somehow makes that player great or increases yeah. their value. He does it time and time again. You notice that surge, right? Yeah. To me, it's the culture that they've created there. Like you can drop anyone in that culture and they can thrive. They have a chance to thrive versus you drop, let's say Andrew. Sorry, Ruth, we're going to get really specific. Andrew Wiggins, <laughs> he got traded to the Warriors. He was considered a bust. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now he's, you could argue he's a top 20 player now. Oh no, he is a top 10 player. He's yeah, the, like, he was a starter on the all-star team. Exactly. So that's just, that speaks to what Steve has built. And it goes back to what you were talking about, Ruth. It's like the culture and the family environment and all those things. That's what I keep thinking when I give talks. I say we really need more high achievers. Because every organization, what happens is we aim for that lowest common denominator. So think of performance appraisals, right? Let's say you're on a scale of one to five and average is three. If you get a three, they leave you alone, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see you next year for your performance appraisal. Four or five? great work. Maybe you'll get a little bit of a bonus. You're doing great work. They leave you alone. What happens if you're below a three, below average? That's when everyone starts moving, right? That's when you get a corrective action plan. They send you to courses. They send you to workshop. There's a supervisor who starts holding you accountable. All the attention goes to the low achievers. What happens then is the high achievers see this, they're going to start leaving. And at best, you're going to be left with average employees 
at worst, you're going to be left with the low achievers. Now, that's because we're always aiming for average. What if we raised the bar and we created that culture that Steve Kerr created with the Warriors? You raise the bar of excellence. You are no longer aiming for average. That changes the whole culture. If I'm going to start working out and I'm going to the gym with all the Olympians, I'm not coming in with the box of donuts. There's a culture of excellence there, right? Yeah. As opposed to you go to any gym, who knows what you're eating on the way over there? It's that culture. It's the people you're surrounding yourself with. So even if you're not a great player, but you're surrounded by great players, this is the expectation. This is the benchmark. We have just raised the culture of excellence. Dr. Ruth, thank you so much for jumping on our podcast today. We, You were up to the billing every, in every way. <laughs> the intro was, I feel like I underwhelmed with the intro. I should have gone a little bit more on that surge, but we you appreciate you either way. Also, you forgot the 50. I feel like I saw 50 over 50 Forbes list. Was that your semifinalist? There was so much, surge. I, I, was. I, I was. like, there's so much okay. on there that I, I just... I'd be talking forever, but thank you for all the wonderful work that you're doing. Like I said, we're big fans of you. Your book, we can get it on Amazon as well, right? Sergio said it's killing it. The book is called The Success Factor. Wherever you love buying books, it is there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And a little shout out to you for doing this interview with a little bit of a cold. I mean, you toughed it out. You're living up to your book. That's all I got to (laughs) say. It's because I love what I do. It's the first element. (laughs) Ruth, when does the book come out? Do you want to give a quick plug on the book? Yeah. So the book, The Success Factor, it came out in January 22. So it is live on Amazon. Hit hit a bestseller list. We're pumped. (laughs) I got mine the other week. So I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I did buy it. So I have one request. And this is the high achievers. They taught me, ask for what you want. If you love the book, if you could go on Amazon and leave a review so other people can find it so I can create that ripple effect for people. That's all we got for you today, listeners. You've been listening to The Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed for the California Department of Insurance. License 0H18660. Michael Murphy is an investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt McGillard are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and Company.